follow along with me. This is Amos chapter 9, verse 1. Here we go. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals of the pillars so that the thresholds shake. Knock them down on the heads of all the people. Then I will kill the rest of them with the sword. None of those who flee will get away. None of the fugitives will escape. If they dig down to Sheol, from there my hand will take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide on top of Carmel, from there I will track them down and I will seize them. If they conceal themselves from my sight on the seafloor, from there I will command the sea serpent to bite them. And if they're driven by their enemies into captivity, from there I will command the sword to kill them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. The Lord, the God of armies, he touches the earth, he melts. I'm sorry, he touches the earth, it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn. All of it rises like the Nile and subsides like the Nile of Egypt. He builds his upper chambers in the heavens and lays the foundation of his vault on the earth. He summons the water of the sea and he pours it out over the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Israelites, are you not like the Cushites to me? This is the Lord's declaration. Didn't I bring Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaftor, the, Armian, or, um, the Arameans from Ker? Look, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom, and I will obliterate it from the face of the earth. However, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob. This is the Lord's declaration. For I am about to give the command, and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations, and the one, as one shakes a sieve, but not a pebble will fall to the ground. All the sinners among my people who say disaster will never overtake or confront us, they will die by the sword. Let me pray. God, thank you again for this day. Thank you for your word. Lord, just be with me today as we speak and be with everyone here as we finish up our last, our last message on the book of Amos, Lord. And it's been a, it's been a, a good series uh, reading this truth from this, this book here. And Lord, my prayer is that we can, we can just harbor that truth in our lives, that we can grow closer to you through this story of Israel. We love you, God, and we thank you. We praise in your name. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Y'alls may be seated. Here we go. Before I get started, let me, um, let me tell you a quick story. Uh, well, let me ask you a question. I mean, who in, uh, somebody in here tell me what is your favorite season of the, of the year, if you don't mind. Tell me. Yes, sir. Summer. Any summer? Who loves summer? Raise your hand if you love summer. Okay. All right. Not bad. Like to wear the shorts, all that stuff. All right. Who in here loves the winter? That's your favorite. Winter. Really? Wow. Okay. Almost equal. Who loves fall? Anybody love fall? Okay. A couple of you guys. All right. And then who, what's the other one? Spring. Who likes spring? New life. Nobody likes spring. Wow. My wife likes spring. Brittany, isn't that what your favorite? Summer. Sorry. Okay. Okay, that's right. And we live in Ohio, which is, <laughs> which is a mistake. So uh, a lot of you guys, it seemed like the top two were summer and winter. I'm a fall guy. I love the fall. I, I enjoy fall because it, it's, the, it's the new football season is beginning shortly. I know this. Like whenever the wind, like whenever it starts to get a little cold outside, I go, ooh, <gasps> football's almost here. And I love it, right? I love college football. It's my favorite. And so I love the fall. But I, I was telling the kids in the last couple services that when I was, uh, I got married in 2007 and I moved to Ohio and I, I'm from North Carolina. And so North Carolina, you never have snow ever. Like I think, well, one time we had snow, but it snowed and then it melted within hours, you know, it just, it, and it wasn't that big a deal. And so when I moved here, uh, Brittany says, are you ready for the snow? And I, I said, well, I, I guess. I, I've never really lived in a place where you get a lot of snow, so it can't be that bad, right? And she goes, oh, you'll see. And sure enough, in 07, we had a blizzard, and it was the most snow I had ever seen in my life. I look out of my window, and I look down to where my car should have been, and I was like, where's my car? 
was like, I was thinking we'd been robbed or something. And Brittany says, oh, no, uh, the snow has covered your car. So my car was completely covered with snow. And I'd never seen anything like it. I was like, I, I don't even know what to do right now. Like, do I get a broom and sweep? I, I don't know what to do. You know, do I get a shovel or what? And so I said, well, here's the good news is I don't have to go to work. That's going to be great, right? And Brittany goes, oh, no, oh, no. Not in Ohio, you still got to go to work. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? And she said, you know, if, 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 you don't, if, if the snow stops you from going to work, you're not going to work three months out of the year, right? So, so I remember going to work and driving one mile an hour on the ice, and I'm like, this sucks. I'm like, man, how, why did I move here, right? And so, but what's funny is I started to get to love the winter, and I love the fall, and I love these for, for the main reason is that um, I don't mind being a little bit cold because I tend to be optimistic, right? And I always say to myself, okay, at least summer's coming, right? It's just right around the corner, right? The good news about winter is that it doesn't last forever, not unless you live in a place. I could never live in a place like uh, the North Pole or something, you know, where it's like always snow. I'm like, this is too much. The best thing about snow is saying to yourself, this isn't going to be here forever. It's going to melt, right? Yes, it's really cold right now. However, the sun will come up tomorrow, tomorrow. The sun will come out. Wait, how, how does that song go? All right, anyways. So, so anyways, so... Um, what, the reason I even break this story up is because my message title today is called However dot dot dot, all right? However dot dot dot. And here's the reason I'm calling it that. This, this, is, our last, uh, this is our last chapter in the book of Amos. There's only nine chapters, and we're finishing off this series. And the cool thing about Amos 9 is uh, when you read 1 to 8 before it, it's all about judgment, okay? Like, has anybody here, let's be honest, have you felt comfortable reading the book of Amos? Like, I haven't. Like, I, I read it, and I'm just like, man, God is not happy. God is very upset here. He's, he's not happy with these Israelites because they're not living the way they should be. But what, what's really cool about in chapter 9 is that you're finishing up this, this um, prophetic statement from Amos, and you get halfway through 9, pretty much what I just read to you right now, but then something happens at the end of it. It's God for the first part of nine, and actually the whole book is saying, you're doomed, you've, you've let me down, you've turned your back on me, you're a hypocrite, you've given your love to something else other than me. However, dot, 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 and then he finishes with a message of hope, which is what I'm going to read to you in just a minute. And what's cool about this word however is that however can change the entire course of a conversation. Imagine somebody comes up to you and they're, they're telling you some bad news. They're like, well, this happened, this happened. It's been the worst day of my life. However, I do have a million dollars in my bank account or something like this, right? And you go, oh, wow, that's good news, right? So this word, however, can really change the tone of it. And so the whole tone of the book of Amos has been one of judgment. It's been one of punishment. It's been one of this is what's going to happen. However, at the very end of the book, it ends with a message of hope. And I could not think uh, of, of a better way to end this book than, than how we're ending our year, right? It's cool that, that you know, you go through the whole year, and, and, and life is hard, isn't it? You, gotta, you got tons of homework to do. You, you get in fights with people. Like, stuff happens, right? And the whole year could be pretty terrible. However, you get to the end of the year, and what do we celebrate at the end of the year? Jesus Christ, right? His, the birth of our Savior. So it's kind of a cool way how this ties in. So this is going to start off as a message of punishment, However, we're going to end it with a message of hope that really ties into Christmas, okay? So what we're going to do is um, I want to give you this main point for, oh, I already filled in the blanks. Okay, hold on. Okay, here we go. Any guesses as to what this says? Whether the outcome is good or bad, God keeps his promises. Yes, I can't believe I forgot that. All right, keeps his promises. Anybody here ever been made a promise before? 
Yep, somebody's promised you something. I love when people promise me good things and they follow through on those promises. I go, yes, that's amazing, right? The, the thing about God, though, is that God will make promises to us, and sometimes these promises are not good. However, God doesn't lie. He always keeps his promises. When he's telling these people in chapter 9 and through the whole book of Amos, I'm going to destroy you, is God going to keep that promise? Yes, he will, right? He's going to keep that promise. So um, what we're going to do today is we're going to go, this chapter can be divided up into two parts, okay? Two promises that we're going to talk about. The first promise is the punishment. This is the bad, okay? And then we're going to end with the however, dot, 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 and then this is going to be the good. I love, I love ending on a good note. You ever seen a movie where the movie is pretty good and then it ends, like, bad? And you're like, man, that ending was terrible. Nobody likes to end on a bad note. You like to end on a good note. So that's what we're going to do. So let's look, uh, let's go ahead and dive back into this. I, I've got a couple of questions I want to ask you, though, as kind of a recap of our message. Can you put the mirror image slide up for me? Our series, we've called it Mirror Image. And we call it this because when you're reading the book of Amos, it's very easy to see a mirror image of the United States when you're reading through this. Have you guys noticed this? Like, you read through and you go, uh, this is what Amos is saying that Israel was dealing with here. This is the problem, the things that they struggled with. And I looked at these problems, and I'm just like, man, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> it sounds like America, right? It sounds like the United States. And so before we dive in, let me ask, let's do a couple of review questions. I have some prizes here if you can get these right, okay? Um, first question, all right? Here it is. Uh, who wrote the book of Amos? Raise your hand if you know the answer. Duke, what is it? Okay, who else? Who wrote the book of Amos? Who was it? Yes, sir. No, no. I'll give you a clue. It starts with an A, yeah. Amos, yeah, great job. This is one of our uh, bottles to raise money for children. So here, you can have that and drink out of it if you want to. Okay, that's the first one. All right, the next one, all right. Um, how many chapters in the book of Amos? You should know this because I just said it. Stalker. Nine, you get some, uh, some wolf game puck, organic free-range chicken and white and wild rice soup, all right? I bet there's no flavor to that. Enjoy it. Okay, next, all right? Somebody tell me, um, where was Amos from? Where was he from? Yes, sir. What? Close. Remember, Israel was broken into two. Where is it? Judah, you get my old license plate. You pumped about that? Mm, I'm happy for you. Dude, you can use that someday, all right? And last but not least, who was Judah called to preach to? Like he was supposed to bring this message to somebody. Let me, yes. Okay. Mm, let me call. You guys already got prizes. Wait, did you get a prize, Zane? Yeah, you already got. Ah, Deke. Israel, you get a Minecrafter's Bible. Sorry. I'm sorry, dude. I'm sorry. I'll buy you a new one. I'll buy you a new one, all right? Minecraft Bible. Here, open that up and turn to Amos 9, if you don't mind. <laughs> okay, so, so yeah, Amos, uh, you know, he's from Judah. He was called to go preach to the northern tribe, which was called Israel. Remember, Israel was this nation that was cut in two because of some sort of civil war. Israel's on the top, Judah's on the bottom. Amos from Judah was told to go to Israel and proclaim this message. And this wasn't a good message. This was a message of judgment. And so Amos went up there and he did his job and he did it well, okay? So the whole book of Amos is about him saying what will happen to Israel. It's about him showing the visions that he had. If you remember last week, we talked, the vision that he had was that uh, Israel was this basket of summer fruit. And we talked about how that, that, that's not a good thing to be compared to that because the summer fruit was the last fruit of the season, right? And that was God's way of saying, you're about to end. You're just like this fruit, right? 
And so today, he has a little bit of a different vision here. So let's look at uh, verse 1, and this is going to be the first point here is the punishment. We're going to talk about the promise that God makes, but it's the bad promise, right? Meaning it's not good for Israel, right? So let's look at this again. Verse 1, it says, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, strike the capitals of the pillars so that the threshold shake. Knock them down on the heads of all the people. Then I will kill the rest of them with the sword. And this is, this is terrifying. None of those who flee will get away. So God comes in here. He's destroying this. And he's saying that when these people are running away, he says they won't get away. Everybody is going to be judged here, okay? Now, if you look at verse 1 here, somebody tell me, what was he standing beside? It says he was just standing behind, beside something. What was it? Does anybody remember? Yes, sir. The altar, all right? Who knows what an altar is? Somebody tell me what an altar is. Anybody familiar? What do you think? Hayden, just tell me what you were going to say. Okay, where you get married, right? Yeah, like when you typically you will do it at the altar. Okay, Duke, what do you think? Yeah, a place where you worship God. That's a great answer. The altar typically is a, is a good place. You go to the altar, you worship God. They would sacrifice stuff, which means they were asking forgiveness of their sins there. Um, it is a place that you go to experience God. And typically when you go to the altar, things are good. You're repenting of sin. You're, you're asking God to bless you. You're doing all these things. You're singing worship. However, this was not good for them. Listen, I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. The altar, a place normally reserved for a, a good encounter with God, has now taken the complete opposite form. Because what does he say after that? He says, strike down the pillars. I'm going to destroy this place. I'm going to kill the rest of them with a sword. None of those who flee will get away. Like, if you go to the altar that day thinking things are going to be good, and then you hear that, you're like, uh, I'm out of here. <laughs> and then you leave, right? So if you keep reading this, I mean, it's talking about, he, he says, if they try to go to Sheol and get away from me, there, there's no way. They can try climbing to heaven. They can't get away from me. They can go to the top of Carmel. I'll track them down. They can try to hide in the bottom of the sea. I'm going to instruct a sea serpent to bite them. If they're driven by their enemies into captivity, I'm going to have the sword kill them. I mean, essentially, he's saying, you can run, but you can't hide. There's nowhere you can go to escape God. There's nowhere. Now, we're going to talk about this a little bit more in just a little bit because this is for sure a bad promise that God makes. And again, I'm not saying bad as in like God makes bad promises. It's a promise that has a pretty negative consequence to it. But it is still a promise. There, a lot of times I think we think that God is just a God who, who loves us so much that he would go out of his way to do stuff, which, which is true. But God is also a God of judgment. Like when sin happens, a penalty has to be paid for sin. So that, I'm not going to rush this because that's the good part, all right? So when, um, what I want to do real quick is um, we talked about how Amos struggled with, a, were in the book of Amos, Israel struggled with certain sins. Does anyone remember some of the sins that Israel struggled with? You guys remember? What do you, th yes, sir. Yes, hypocrisy. Man, you guys, you guys are very talkative today, and I love it. You're giving great answers. All right, hypocrisy, right? Uh, they, they had this problem where they would go to— did, did they go to church and stuff? All the time they did. They would go to church. They would worship God. They'd go to the altar. The problem wasn't that. The problem is that they would leave church and leave the temple and go back to their old lifestyle. And in the eyes of God, he's saying, if you worship me on Sunday, yet the rest of the week you're living a life of sin, I'm not going to believe your worship on Sunday. Because if you really did love me, if you really meant what you said, then you wouldn't be living this lifestyle. And so, so yeah, hypocrisy is a big one. I love you, God. They would say this in, in the temple, and then they would leave, and then they would say, I love such and such, something else other than God. And that's hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when you 
essentially when you say something and then you do something different. Like if I told you guys not to swear, and then after church you saw me out in the parking lot and I'm telling my kids, like, get in the car, bleep, 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 I'm just cussing at them, you'd be like, that's a hypocrite, right? And, and then it's true, right? And so, so we as Christians, when I, when I look at this whole concept of how we're a mirror image of Israel, hypocrisy is the one that stands out to me the most. So are you going to another answer? Spoiled brats. Yeah, that's right. We talked about Israel. They were a bunch of spoiled brats. Which leads to my next one. The other sin, the other big one was this word complacency. Do you guys remember me talking about complacency the other week? Think, think of complacency as this. You're a spoiled brat who gets everything that you want. God has blessed you so much. And you get to a point where you say, oh, we're blessed because of what we've done. It's all me. And complacency makes you lazy in your faith. It makes you lazy in your faith. And it's not a good place to be. God doesn't ever want you to, to expect to be blessed, right? He doesn't want you to expect to have everything that your heart could desire while you're here on earth because it's just not the case. And what happens is Israel became so complacent. They became so used to this idea that God gave them this great military, that God blessed them with wealth, that God did this, he did this. But God's like, listen, listen, that, that shouldn't stop you from wanting to grow closer to me. Now, again, let's talk about the mirror image aspect of that. When you think of American Christians, do you think we're complacent? Do you think a lot of churches are complacent? Absolutely we are. We've got it so easy here. In fact, the irony is that churches tend to grow in places where the gospel, it's not easy to, to share the gospel. So um, do you guys remember what I said the other week about what, what is the, the nation that has the fastest growing Christian church? Do you guys remember? What is it? China, it's, it's, it switches between China and who else? Iraq, right? So Iraq right now, last I heard Iraq is at the top. And Iraq, I don't know if you know this or not, but in Iraq, you can literally be beheaded. You can be thrown in prison. They can kill you or they can uh, kill your family. I've read stories where they're like, denounce Christ. And they say no. And then they're like, well, we're going to kill your family right in front of you. I mean, it's terrible, terrible things. However, dot, dot, dot. Christianity is growing at an alarming rate over there. And I say alarming in a good way. It's crazy how fast Christians are growing over there. So when we talk about the punishment here, the bad, you got to ask yourself, well, why is he going to punish these people? Like, what is it? And here's the answer. Israel was full of a bunch of people who did not have a relationship with God. That's the reality of it. Okay? They were being judged. He says, listen, you can claim that you have a relationship with God, with me. You don't. You don't. I can tell by the way you live your lives. You don't have a relationship with me, and he judged them accordingly. You guys realize that if you never give your life to Christ, you will be judged in the exact same way because you don't go to heaven when you die. Where will you go? Hell. This, this is the judgment that happens when you don't give your life to Christ. And so, so again, the bad part here is this punishment. This, this is the bad part. I, I remember I was in church once, and I saw, this, I saw this kid out here who was acting up, and this was years ago, and his mom looked at him and she said, uh, she said, hey, get over here. She says, if you act up again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to whip your butt. And he just goes, okay, mom. And then he runs away and he starts doing the exact same thing that he did again. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, man, this kid's gonna about to get, get wrecked. And the mom was like, get over here. If you do that again, I'm going to whip your butt. And he goes, okay, mom. And he runs away again. And I'm just like, okay. And then, and then he does it again and she goes, get over here. If you do that one more time. She just kept saying this over and over again. And finally I was like, whip his butt. <laughs> like, beat this child. Like, what are you doing, you know? And the thing about it is, this is the complete difference between God and, and that mom there, where did she keep her promise? No. She promised that she was going to discipline this kid, 
And I would, I'm willing to go out and say here that she did this child a great disservice by not disciplining him. If this kid thinks that he can get away with doing whatever he wants without being disciplined, he's going to keep doing it, right? Israel had gotten to the point where they were just doing it, doing it, and they, they turned away from God. And now God is essentially saying, it's time for the spanking, you know, and he does this. God keeps his promises, whether they're good or bad. And even though this result is not going to be good for Israel, in the long run, it's a great thing for Israel. Because we need to know that punishment is coming if we don't grow in our relationship to God, if we don't go closer to God. So that's the punishment. Let's talk about the good now, okay? Now, I'm going to read you. This is the however dot, 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 okay? So I've given you this message of judgment, this bad news essentially for Israel. But now Amos says, here's the bad news. However, dot, 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 let me read you the good news. Okay, so here it is. We're going to read a verse 11 to 15 in chapter 9, and then we're going to end the book of Amos. Here it is. In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps. I'll restore its ruins. And I'll rebuild it as in the days of old, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name. This is the declaration of the Lord. He will do this. Look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the one who treads grapes, the sower of the seed. The mountains will drip with sweet wine and all the hills will flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel. They will rebuild and occupy ruined cities, plant vineyards and drink their, and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their produce. I will, plant them on, I will plant them on their land and they will never again be uprooted for the land I have given them. The Lord your God has spoken. Let's talk about different tones here, right? The tone in the first half of that chapter was pretty negative, wasn't it? You're going to die. You can't run away from me. I will get you, okay? It's kind of, kind of a Debbie Downer message. That passage that I just read you there, was that a passage of doom and gloom or was it a passage of hope? It was a passage of hope. This is great news. This is God saying, listen, listen, I will punish you. However, I'm not going to completely get rid of you. Guys, imagine, let's, let's think, when you're reading the Bible, you got to think big picture. Let's think of the big picture here. What would have happened if God had completely destroyed Israel? Think about what the ramifications of that are. What would we never have gotten? Any idea? What do you think? Jesus. Man, you guys are smart, all right? If he had, if he had wiped Israel completely off the map, we never would have had Jesus. Now think about this. We talked about this before in, uh, in Genesis chapter 22, verse 15 to 18. Um, he, we, we see the original promise that God made to a guy named Abraham. You guys remember Abraham? He was, he was uh, the, the guy that, that God chose. He said, I'm choosing you. I'm going to make a covenant with you. And you, essentially, he was the first of the, of the whole tribe of Israel. Okay? And so he says, you guys remember he made a couple promises. He says, I'm going to make your descendants outnumber what? Do you remember? Stars in the sky. Right. Great job. The stars in the sky, which means you're going to have a ton of descendants. Now, first off, that promise was a crazy promise. Why? Because his wife was like 90-something years old. And I don't know if you know this, but 90-year-olds don't typically have babies, okay? Like, they, they've grown past it. So the fact that his, his wife Sarah got pregnant showed that God could do anything, right? So that was the first promise. His second promise was, he says, Abraham, I promise to you that I'm going to give you a land that will be yours. It'll be a beautiful land. Okay, so that's another promise. And then the last promise, which is the greatest promise he made, is he says, your family will bless the nations. Your family will bless the nations. And what, what does that mean? It means exactly what you just said. Abraham had kids. They had kids. They had kids. And eventually down the line, guess who was born from that family line? Jesus Christ. And so I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus definitely blessed all the nations of the world, didn't he? 
when he died on a cross, he said, hey, listen, things are bad. Like, like we are all slaves to sin. We're all captive by sin. However, dot, 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 I'm going to die on a cross for you so that you don't have to be a slave to this sin anymore. Guys, that is great news, isn't it? Do me a favor really quickly. Turn your, Bible, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. All right, Luke chapter 2. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with the greatest promise that God kept to us, that he gave to us and kept. Okay, this is Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 8. I'm going to read this to you guys, and then we'll, uh, we'll end with this. And I know you guys know this story, so follow along. In the same region, shepherds were staying out, of the, or staying out in the fields, and they were keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born to you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angels, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them, they returned to heaven, and the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem. Let's see what's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off, and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all the things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. You've heard that story before, right? It's, the, it's a Christmas story, which flows perfectly into where we're at in right now. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. And exactly what the main point here says, whether the outcome is good or bad, God keeps his promises. We see in this story here, the, the bad outcome for Israel was that they were to be judged and punished for what they had done. Okay? The good news was he says, I'm not going to destroy Israel because God knew he remembered the promise that he had made to Abraham. If he knew that if he destroyed Israel completely, we would never get Jesus. So here's what I want to say to you guys right now, okay? Here's the, here's the promise of God right now, uh, and this is the bad outcome. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you are, you are heading straight for the same judgment that Israel faced, that's the reality. God has promised this to us. He says, if you don't give your life to Jesus, if you don't live for Jesus, then you, I will separate you from me from all of eternity. So it's a promise. He's going to keep that promise. However, the good promise that he makes also is that, hey, listen, you are all destined for hell. You're all on your way to hell. However, the good news is, is that I have sent somebody to die in your place, which was Jesus Christ. There, guys, there's no, better, there's no better present that you can get than that right there, Jesus Christ himself. So here's what I want you to think about, and then we'll pray, is that some of you guys in here um, act a lot like Israel, okay? You're, you're, you're a lot like them. You, you show up to church, things are great while you're at church, but then you leave church and you go about your life and you live as if you don't even know who God is. That is the exact kind of person from Israel that God judged. So I want you to think about that for yourself. Like, think to yourself, do, am, I, am I a full-time Christian, not just a part-time Christian? Okay? Um, I used an example in the last service about how if, um, if I was to offer you guys, like, uh, like, let's say I ran a company, right? Hayden, we'll use you as an example. Let's say you come up to me and you say, Pastor Matt, I want a full-time job. And I said, okay, great. I will hire you. Okay? So I hire Hayden, 
And uh, typically a full-time job is about 35 to 40 hours. Um, some jobs go way more than that, but 35 to 40 hours is a full-time job. Let's say Hayden shows up and he, he goes, uh, like he shows up one morning for a couple hours. And over the course of the week, he only shows up for 10 hours. And I say to him, I was like, I thought you wanted full-time hours. And he goes, I am full-time. I'm like, no, you're not. You're working, you're working part-time hours. 10 hours is part-time. And he goes, no, 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 I'm full-time. Well, in my mind, I, I know exactly what he is. He can say all he wants that he's a full-time employee, but he's not. He's part-time. And a lot of people in this room, you, you claim to be a full-time Christian. You claim to be somebody who loves God with all of your heart, yet you're working 10 hours, okay? You're only, working, you're only living for God some of the time. So let me, let me encourage you guys. Don't, like, just accept the promise that God made of his son Jesus, Okay? And if there's people in this room that you've never given your life to Christ, maybe, maybe this is the first time you've heard this before. You've, heard, you've never heard really the story of, of Jesus. You have no idea that God promised Jesus all the way back in the book of Genesis, right? People think that, that the story of Jesus starts like right back here, but you know it starts here, right? It starts all the way in the beginning of the Bible. This is a promise that God has had on the books for a long time. Don't overlook that promise, Okay. If any of you in here, you've never given your life to Christ, please come talk to me. Talk to any of your leaders. We'll pray with you. We'll show you what to do. But, uh, but live for God. Live for God all the time. Okay? Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll uh, finish. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for, for all of these students that are here. Thank you for all the leaders that are here. Lord, it's, it's December is that time of year where we get to reflect on the, uh, the, the, the first stage of you fulfilling your promise by sending the Messiah God, you know, we, we've all been slaves to sin. Everybody on earth was a slave to sin. And the best thing that you ever did was send your son to die on a cross for us, Lord. And it's because of this. It's because of this promise that you made that we can escape hell. We can escape death. We can shake off the, the shackles of any kind of sin that, that binds us, Lord, and has us in bondage. And when we give our lives to Jesus, we now... Uh, have life. We, we now have the ability to, to live forever with you, God. And Lord, that's my prayer for every single person in this room, that they can know your son, Jesus Christ, that they can give their life to your son, Jesus Christ, that they can be so on fire for your son, Jesus Christ, that they don't just live for him part-time, but that they live for him full-time, that our lives are dedicated to being a light for you in this community, God. God, I see a lot of students in this room who I know are going to do great things for you, God. And, and that's my prayer is that we can have a ministry of on-fire Christians who want to live for you in their whole lives, God. We thank you for the book of Amos. We thank you for what we've learned. It's, uh, it's been a pretty down book in terms of all the talk of judgment. But Lord, you, you end it with this amazing message of hope. You end it with hope, God. And so that's my prayer today is that we can all realize this hope in your son, Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you. We praise in your name. Amen.